begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you who have shown grace to us in the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners, and you who have made that grace effective in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit by bringing us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask and we pray, Father, this morning that you would show even greater displays of of grace towards us. Help us, we pray, Father, to embrace afresh the whole reality of what it is to live by grace. Help us, we pray, Father, to desire within the depths of our hearts to grow deeper and deeper into this thing called grace. Oh, Father, lead us in these things, we pray. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today what I want to do is I want to take a look, as I said before, at this 18th verse of Second Peter chapter 3 and that little command that's given. Grow in grace, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're just going to look at the first part of that verse, growing in grace. We're going to see what the Apostle Peter means by it. Hopefully we will exhort one another to continue in this growth in grace. And so that's what we'll do here today. But what I want you to think with me first and foremost is this. Once again, here is Peter's closing exhortation. Peter is coming to the end of this epistle, and he's laid out a number of things for us, hasn't he? He showed to us what the Christian life was all about in 2 Peter chapter 1. There you saw that the Christian life has begun with grace. It's entered into by faith. There you saw everything by way of what we call the, the dynamism of the Christian life. Add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge temperance and the temperance godliness. All these things we saw are a part of what the Christian life is all about. And I ask you a question. Is your Christian life marked by that? Has it been marked by this continual addition of the graces that God gives? I hope and I pray that it is. The other thing that we saw in this first chapter of 2 Peter was the fact that there is great emphasis given to the written word of God as the means by which we live and grow in our present state as Christians. The word of God that Peter says is a light that shines in a dark place. Are you giving attention to that light that shines in this dark world? Peter went on to say how that the word of God was given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said? You've not followed cunningly devised fables, but you've followed a more sure word of prophecy. And so again, the the Christian life all centered in the person of Christ and based on the word of God. And then in chapter 2, you remember, he gave us the warning about these false teachers, these men who manipulate and distort the word of God uh, to their own advantage and to the destruction of their own souls and to the harm of all those who would follow them. We've tried to give warning about them. And then in chapter 3, there was the warning against the scoffers, uh, many that we find in our day. And you remember what Peter said about this, about that. But be assured of this one thing, that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. No matter what scoffers say, no matter what mockers, how they joke, the day of the Lord shall come. And that's what Peter was emphasizing. As he comes down to this closing exhortation, he is calling us to stay steadfast in this very conviction that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come again in glory to bring this judgment. And the Christian church again holds on to this great truth. And so what Peter said in verse 17 was again, be steadfast in this. And now what he is saying to us in verse 18 is not only to be steadfast, but also to make advance, to grow. And in a very real sense, this is what the Christian life is. The Christian life, if we can bring verses 17 and 18 together and put it in a larger category, we might say this, that in these two verses, Peter is giving to us something by way of the doctrine of sanctification. 
You know what that doctrine is, that, that good old-fashioned, that glorious doctrine of sanctification and holiness, whereby you and I are made more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like our old selves? Well, there's good news for you, isn't it? And so Jesus Christ, again, being formed in the life, and sanctification takes place in what we see in verse 17 and 18. It's a refraining from certain things, and it's a doing of certain things. It's a refraining from those things that God warns us against, and it's an act of doing of those things that God calls us to. What does he call us to in verse 18? He calls us to grow in grace. And so what I want to do here today is I want to take a look at what it means to grow in grace and how we do that. And again, we'll do that uh, in time as we go on. But again, I want to come back to this idea that 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 are the closing admonitions of this good apostle Peter. And not only are they the closing admonitions of this epistle, in one way we might say that they're the closing admonitions of his life. Now why do I say that? Do you remember what Peter said in the first chapter, how that he must shortly put off this tabernacle? Peter was a man who was at the end of his life. He was a man whose days would soon come to a close. And so what we have in these two verses is not only the closing admonition of a good and godly man, we have the closing admonition of a good good and godly man basically at the end of his days. And you know, even from a standpoint of just a human perspective, how that we usually perk up when we hear the the, the last words or the closing words of a good man. We want to listen with a little more attention, don't we? And so when Peter says, don't be moved away by the error of the wicked and stay steadfast in the faith, it has a little extra weight to it. When Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it has something more of a little more gravity to it. And what we see in the Word of God is that oftentimes good good men in their dying days gave very good admonition. We see this in a number of places. Think with me again to, to certain passages of Scripture. Think back in the life of Moses. Moses in, in Deuteronomy 31 verse 14 is coming to the end of his days. And we read this in the Scripture. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation that I may give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And he gave, in in Deuteronomy, going down to verse 23 of Deuteronomy uh, 31, and he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel to the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. Here God through Moses is giving this charge to Joshua. Moses is coming at the end of his days. And what does he do? He gives this charge. We also see this. Joshua did the same thing in Joshua chapter 23 and in Joshua chapter 24. And in 23, we read this. Joshua says, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. That little phrase, going the way of all the earth. Going the way of all flesh. That will be us one day. We're going to go the way of all flesh unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory before that time. But we, but we can go the way of all flesh. And Joshua says this, And you know that in your hearts and in your souls not one good thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass and not one thing has failed thereof. What's Joshua doing in his closing days? He's speaking well of God. You know, when you speak well of somebody, we, when we attend our funerals, we, we listen to eulogies. 
And what a eulogy is, technically, it is literally a discourse that speaks well of someone. It is the speaking well of a person. And here is Joshua at the end of his days. And what is he doing? He's speaking well of God. This is how a good man dies. He gives a charge to those who are coming after, them, after him. He gives, he, he gives testimony to the goodness of God. You see, Peter then, again, as he brings, as he comes to the end of his days, what's he doing? He's giving us this charge concerning the responsibilities that we have. David does the same thing. Listen to what David says. Now the end of, now the end of days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. There's that expression again. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes. What are we saying? What are we seeing here? That when good men come to their closing days, they admonish and they encourage and they strengthen and they speak well of God. Paul did this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. At his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We go down to verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. This is a good man in his last days. And what do good men in their last days do? They speak well of God, they, they give charge and admonition. And this is what Peter is doing for us as well. Peter is admonishing us in his last days. What's he saying? He's saying, grow in grace. This grace that you have received, this grace that carries you through, grow in it. It's a living, it's a vibrant thing. And let it not stagnate. And so again, as we see Peter's charge here, what I want to do is I want to pick up this charge, as it were, this command, and I want to ask you to consider it with me. Well, what is it then? Uh, to, what is this thing that we are to grow in, this thing called grace? Well, I hope many of you, I hope all of you know what grace is, if not by definition, at least by experience. And if you don't know it by definition, let me say this. Grace is one of those words that you can know by experience, even though you might not formally know by definition. It's a wonderful thing to experience grace, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be the recipient of grace. And there is a sense in which all of God's activities to his creation, in one sense, are tempered with grace. Grace in the sense that it shows itself in all of God's activity to all of God's creatures. There's, there, yes, we know there are times of judgment, but in one sense, the, the first movement of God is always a movement of grace. And what I want you to see then with me is this, not only by way of the question, have you experienced, but now by way of something of the definition. How do we define grace and what does the Bible teach us about grace? Well, you might know something about the definition of grace along these lines, that grace is God's unmerited favor. This is a very well-worn definition, we might say. But have you ever considered an additional element to the idea of grace? Is that grace is not only God's unmerited favor, it is, grace, it, is God's, it is God's unmerited favor to those who deserve His wrath. It is not favor to those who are in a neutral state. It is not favor to those who are in an acceptable state. It's, in, it's favor to those who are in a, in a state that naturally calls for God's justice and God's, and God's judgment. But God in grace, again, is withholding. God in grace is showing himself to be gracious. And so this thing called grace is something, again, that's just one of the, one of the, one of the splendors of the Christian gospel. And so I ask you the question, not only do you know something now about the definition of grace, but have you experienced the grace of God? 
Oh, this thing called grace. We sing about it, don't we? We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, that's, that's, that's what grace does. Grace doesn't just stand out there. Grace gets inside of you, as it were. Grace gives you a sense of something. Grace gives you a sense of the peace of God within. Grace gives you something of the presence of God with you. Grace is that, again, that sustains you in all your difficulties. Oh, the grace of God. And so Peter is saying to us, again, he's not only uh, laying out before us this idea of grace, he's calling for us to grow in grace. Well, what I also want to do here is to not only take a look at these ideas of of what grace is and and, uh, some of the things uh, uh, in which uh, grace uh, comes to us, what I want you to also consider with me is the fact, as I said before, of the command to grow in grace. It is your responsibility and it is my responsibility to actually grow in this experience of grace. I think this is very interesting because one of the things that we learn about almost all of biblical truth, but particularly with a word like grace, is that rarely if ever is these or these truths, particularly grace, set before us in a sense where they're like abstract, out there and separated from us. Grace is never really presented to us as just being out there. Grace is presented to us as something that we enter into and experience. The first mention of grace in the Bible was spoken of Noah. It's a wonderful little phrase, and it says this, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. What a wonderful expression. Noah found grace. I ask you the question, have you found grace in the sight of God this morning? And you may ask, well, where do I find grace? Can I say it? You find it in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where do you find grace? You find it in the gospel. Where do you find grace? You find it against the backdrop of your sin. You find it again, as I find it against the backdrop of my sin. How do we find this grace? We find this grace with a realization of who and what we are by nature and what that nature calls for by way of God's judgment. And yet God in mercy, God in kindness, God in grace, what does he do? He shows to us Jesus Christ. Have you found grace in the sight of God this morning? I hope and I pray that you have. So this grace, as I said before, is is never merely an abstract idea. It's something that we enter into. Oh, please enter into this thing called grace. You might ask yourself the question, well, how do I enter into it? Well, understand God offers to you in the person of Jesus Christ this wonderful thing called salvation. Favor? Remember grace is is the unmerited favor of God? Do you know that in salvation, God brings you into his favor? God brings you into his good graces? God brings you into his kindness? This is the activity of God on behalf of those who look to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, have you found grace this morning? I hope and I pray that you have. But again, since this idea of grace is a, is a term of, of relationship, it's a term into which we enter in, what we find is that as we enter into grace, that grace is no static state. That there is to be no stagnation in the experience of grace. As a matter of fact, all of the Christian life has a particular, what we would call dynamism to it, as I said earlier this morning. We read in the scripture of things like we saw in Psalm 92, uh, that the righteous flourish. You see, this is the idea of growing. We read about love and faith increasing. We read about, again, uh, God desiring, God being pleased as we increase more and more. There's an activity, there's an action of the Spirit of God, not only in the church, but in the individual soul that brings about this fruitfulness. 
We read in John 15 as well. How was the Father glorified? That ye bring forth much fruit. This is all an aspect of grace. And so what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is this, is the call of God in this passage of Scripture is that you and I grow. Now you see, you have to understand it's a command that's given here. Peter says, but grow in the faith of our, excuse me, in the, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sets something before us by way of a responsibility. And so the question comes before us along the following lines. How then do I grow in this thing called grace? Well, first of all, what I want you to see and understand, we must have something of an understanding of it. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn this thing. You can't earn this gracious standing with God. Second, I want you to notice what Peter says. He says, grow in the grace. Did you notice he didn't say grow into grace? Why do I bring that out? Because if we were growing into grace, it would be something that we would be doing in ourselves. We would be meriting that which we could not merit. But he says, grow in grace. And the idea is this. You already possess grace if, you, if you're here through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus Christ, the great reservoir of grace is there. In Jesus Christ, there is grace upon grace. In Jesus Christ, all the wonders and all the mercies and all the glories of grace are found. And when Peter writes to this church and he writes to the individuals in the church, he is saying, listen, you're in grace, now grow in that grace. My Christian friends and my brothers and sisters, I have to ask you, does the growth in grace mark your Christian life? You see, if it does not, you are, you are coming far short of what God is calling you to. If you're not growing in grace, you see, you have to understand that there is a sense in which you will never enter into the fullness of the joys that God has for you in this world, in this life. Oh, to live under the sense of God's grace being upon you and all that you do. To come into situations that you think are too much for you as you look ahead. But you know behind you and under you and over you is the grace of God. Oh, what a way to go into a situation then. I don't know what's going to happen, but God's grace is there. And so again, this idea of growing in grace. Well, this, this leads us with a, with a particular question, and doesn't it? Uh, not only the question is, uh, uh, you know, uh, number one, have you experienced this grace in a saving way? But now number two, how do we grow in this grace? How do we grow in this grace? Well, what's interesting is that when we talk about growing in grace, one of the things that we have to be able to do is bring together at least two ideas. And the two ideas are essentially this. That number one, there has to be an understanding that God is gracious and an understanding of what grace looks like and an understanding of what God is doing in grace. We have to know those things. But the knowing of those things is not necessarily the growing of those things in our lives. You understand the difference? We can know something, but the question is, are we growing in it? Growth in grace takes place by way of your personal experience with the grace of God on a daily level and on a daily basis. How do you grow in grace? You grow in grace in the experience of grace. You grow in grace when you're brought to the difficulty of life's circumstances and having nothing else to do other than to call out for God's mercy and grace. You find that grace to be sufficient. Paul grew in grace when God said to him, when Paul was praying to take the thorn away from, a, from his flesh, Paul grew in grace when God said, my grace is sufficient. You grow in grace in the exercise of grace. And that's why if we were to uh, kind of make it uh, maybe a little more formal and say, how do we grow in grace? What I would do is I would go back to what Peter's already told us in this epistle. 
Again, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Add to your faith virtue, and do your virtue knowledge, and do your knowledge temperance, and do your temperance godliness. For if these things be in you and abound, there's that growing sense. And so how do you grow in grace? There is an involvement in all that you are and all that God gives in his word. So I ask the question, since we've been on this series of of Second uh, Peter here, and I don't even know how long we've been in it, but we've been in it for, I don't know, a few months anyway. I have to ask you, have you added to your faith virtue? What's virtue? Goodness? Is there, is there a quality of goodness that marks you in, in the way you conduct yourself in the world? Goodness. Again, we would never say of ourselves, I'm a good man. We, we wouldn't say that. We understand that there's a, there's a sense of who we know who and what we are. But the testimony of the people, but the testimony of the people of God by others should be. It's a good person you're dealing with there. They know something, there's something of a moral excellency in their life. This is what virtue is. Has that been added to your faith? Has has temperance been added to your faith? Is there a sense of self-control? Are you a person that has a certain amount of, again, spiritual balance in his life? Self-control. Is there the addition, we might say, of godliness, that, that idea of reverence and piety? Are you a coarse man in your conversation? Are you a vulgar woman in your conversation? Or is there an element of godliness that marks who and what you are? I'm saying to you, the only way to grow in grace is that these things be added to the life. These graces continually to be added. And so the growth in grace comes placed by way of the experience of grace in the life. And I hope when I pray, this is the case for, for each and every one of us. How do we grow in grace? We grow in grace also by what we saw in this first chapter when, when Peter says you do well to take heed to the word of God as a light that shines in a dark place. You grow in grace when you follow the, 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 the directions of the word of God. When you live by the word of God, you're growing in grace. You know that every element of obedience that you give to the command of Christ brings forth fruit and increases grace in the life. You know that every place where we refuse to be obedient to the word of God, we choke out, if I can use this kind of an illustration, we, tro- we choke out that kind of channel of grace that comes to us. Grace is stifled. Grace will stagnate by way of our disobedience to the word of God. And so I ask the question, are you growing in grace? Peter lays it out for us how, how we ought to do these things. Even look in that third chapter again. And Peter asked the question, seeing that you know these things are soon to, are, 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 are to come to pass, what manner of persons ought you to be in all godliness and holiness? What manner of persons? You see, grace increases in the exercise of grace in the life. And so my brothers and sisters, what I would call you to is this. I would call you to to grow in grace by by exercising grace. I would call you to grow in grace by experiencing grace. I would call you to grow in grace by finding grace. I would call you to grow in grace by being obedient to the word of God. And you'll find, you will see, again, as your obedience grows, so your experience of grace will grow. As your experience of grace will grow, so your obedience will grow. It works one on another. And so again, may God give us grace then to grow in grace. 
But how else do we grow in grace? Again, from one sense where I just made a, a, a case for a following Peter's own uh, exhortation here and following Peter's own writings as to how we grow in grace. But I think if we take a step back, uh, not only look at it from a biblical perspective, but take a step back and maybe look at it from a broader theological con- uh, context, what context, I'm sorry, what we would see is this, is that not only do we grow in grace by way of the obedience to the commands of Scripture, but we can also incorporate a very well-established idea within the church, and it's essentially this, that if a person is to grow in grace in his or her life, he or she will make use of the means of grace, the means of grace. Now, some of you are probably familiar with this terminology, the means of grace. It's, it's fairly common in the church. And we talk about the means of grace as being those things through which we have a greater grasp of what God is expecting of us, what God calls us to, what God teaches, and then again, being obedient to those things. But when we talk about the means of grace, we see it in at least two levels of, if I can say it that way. Number one, the means of grace takes place, or we should say it this way, that the means of grace are first personal, and then they are public. What are the personal means of grace? The personal means of grace are those things that you and I are called to by way of our daily reading of Scripture, our daily time with God in prayer, our meditation upon the Word of God throughout the day, our self-examination as to how we are walking before God in the present moment. These are the personal means of grace. These personal means of grace are very much connected with the operation of the work of the Holy Spirit within our souls. And should you and I, or should you or I, grieve or quench the Spirit of God, we again choke out that whole idea of what it means to grow in grace. But let a man or a woman... So examine himself, as the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Let a man or woman give themselves over to the meditation on the scripture. Oh, how I love thy law. They are are my meditation throughout the day. Let a man or woman be engaged in prayer. And you will notice an increase of grace. And so there are the private means of grace. But not only are there the private means of grace, there are also what we call the public means of grace. And what are the public means of grace? Well, you are participating in the public means of grace right now. And by way of your participation in the public means of grace, what it is essentially this. The public means of grace are essentially your attendance upon those times and places where the word of God is being set forth and where Jesus Christ is being worshipped. You do well to your soul when you come to hear the word of God being preached. Now you understand, most of you know me well enough to to know that the next thing that's going to be out of my mouth is this. It's not because of the preacher. It's because of what God has ordained through 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 the activity of the spirit as the word of God is being opened. You do well for your soul when you attend to the preaching of the word of God. You do well for your soul when you attend to that place where the people of God are gathered. When the voices of God are united to sing the praises of God, where the hearts of the people of God are united in love, not only in concern for one another, but for a desire for Jesus Christ to be glorified. You do well for your soul by taking taking advantage of the public means of grace. And then through the public means of grace, you grow in grace. I have to say this. You do yourself no favor when you absent yourself from public worship. You do yourself no favor when you don't join together with the people of God during the times of prayer. 
You do yourself no favor when you don't interact and engage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to do the good that God calls you to do to them. Let us do good unto all men, Paul says, but especially those of the household of faith. These are how, this is how grace grows. And so I ask you the question, are you growing in grace? Number one, have you experienced grace? Do you know what it is, again, to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior? You remember what Paul said in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But you notice what else he says there in verses 9 and 10? For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Do you know that you grow in grace when you perform those good works that God has called you to? Do you know that God created you for certain good works? Do you know that there are good works that God is, if I can put it this way, there are good works waiting up in heaven to be done here on earth that God has ordained for you to do them. You see, you grow in grace when you do them. And so again, engage yourself in what God calls you. So again, the call to grow in grace. But there's one more thing I want you to think along with me here uh, when the pa- in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to pick up on, on this again next week. Uh, again, Peter says, but grow, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to see something here. That all growth in grace must be a growth in grace that is in Jesus Christ. It is not merely the gross, I'm sorry, it is not merely the growth in a state of graciousness. It is not merely the growth in us being more kind. It is a particular and focused growth, and it comes to rest on the person of Christ. I need to ask you a question, my, my friends and my brothers and sisters. Is Jesus Christ worthy of that kind of attention given to your life so that in the person of Jesus Christ, all growth is measured by your attraction and your obedience and your affection for him? It's not growing in theology. May you grow in theology. It's not growing in friendliness. May you grow in friendliness. It's growing in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a title is given to him here. The Lord, Jesus Christ. The one who has purchased your soul. The one who is the sovereign over all things. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so again, this grace must grow in a particular direction. It's not just going out in every direction. It is focused particularly on the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, grow in that grace. Well, by way of application, then what I want to do is I want to just bring out some of the elements or some of the, uh, what we might say, the categories of grace in which we can grow. And I would present before you four categories of grace that we see in the scripture. And the four categories of grace are the following. There is what we call common grace that is revealed in the scripture, common grace. Secondly, there's what we call saving grace. Thirdly, there's what we would call sovereign grace. And fourthly, there's what we would call, uh, I'm sorry, sustaining grace. And I just want to briefly look at each one of these and and show how we can grow in each one of these things. Number one, there's common grace. What is common grace? Well, common grace is a very, very wonderful reality in God's interaction with humanity. And what common grace is, that common grace is essentially God's disposition of graciousness being conveyed to all of his creatures everywhere. There is a graciousness in the disposition of God that is natural and its outflow as the sun's light shining from itself. God by nature is gracious and that gracious disposition is seen everywhere. This helps us understand why sometimes our neighbors who, who are not even converted people But sometimes our neighbors can be very nice to us, and aren't we glad that that's the case? 
And aren't you glad that you can be nice to your neighbors? And aren't you glad that you can, can understand that you can enter into relationships and you can have good and solid relationships even with those who are outside of the church of Jesus Christ? You can develop friendships. And, and again, you can, you can, you can uh, enter into those friendships in such a way as not to be uh, unduly influenced and evil. We're not saying that. But by way of the fact that you enter into these relationships with neighbors and co-workers, this happens. And why does it happen? Because there's, there's, there's this thing called common grace. We see it day to day, don't we? There you are walking into the store and somebody opens the door for you. They may not necessarily, just because somebody opens the door doesn't mean that they're a Christian man or woman. Or you open the door for them and you're not opening the door for them because they're a Christian man or woman. You're doing it again as an expression of common grace. Common grace is a wonderful thing. So I would ask you the question, when you're called to grow in grace, did you ever think about growing in common grace? Did you ever think about growing in that common grace which makes you a more gracious individual to interact with? Did you ever think about growing in common grace to where when you interact with people just by way of general kindness and, 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 and general, uh, again, sympathy towards others, you can interact with them in such a way as to let them see something maybe of the larger picture of God's grace? You see, common grace is something that we can grow in as well. So there's common grace. But the next thing we see is most important, and that's saving grace. Well, what is saving grace? Well, as I said before, while God's disposition is to be gracious to all of his creatures, there is a particular grace in God which comes to rest on all those whom he has called to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. This saving grace is a grace that reaches out. This saving grace is a grace that infallibly comes home to the heart. This saving grace is that grace whereby we understand we are no longer under the wrath of God. We are now the beneficiaries of all of his blessing and kindness. Saving grace. Well, do you know something of that saving grace? Are you growing in it? I'm asking you, as like one writer was saying, too many people's religion is like their Sunday clothes. They put it on once a week and then put it away. Let that not be said of us. Let saving grace be that very thing, which, which is, again, just seen in everything that we do. Everything that we do is, is, again, flavored with this idea of the saving grace of God upon our souls. You can grow in that as well. What's your Christian life like? Is it stagnating? Are you bored with your Christian life? Has your Christian life been something that you talk about in terms of days of bygone glory? We've all been around brothers and sisters like that, haven't we? They tell us a lot about the glory days of back old. They tell us about, you know, when they were in this church and the, and the spirit fell then and, and, the, and the preaching was so, you know, so powerful. Then. Well, these days can be ours now. Amen. You can grow in saving grace, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, the next thing that we would consider by way of a category would be God's sovereign grace. Now, this is related to saving grace. Because the way God's saving grace came to you uh, was, by, was by a display of his sovereign grace. But God's sovereign grace also has to do with the things that we go through uh, through this life by way of God's sovereign hand. God brings us into places, doesn't he, that we don't always understand. But his sovereignty is there. God brings us to situations with, that oftentimes perplex us, don't, doesn't he? But his sovereignty is there. And so what I want you to see and understand is this. No matter what the turns of life may be, God is sovereign. No matter what the ups and downs may be, God is sovereign. And what I want you to see is this, is that you can grow in that grace as well. Stop and think of what it means. There you are confronted with a term you've never expected, but you know that God's grace is there. You see, you're growing in the awareness of God's sovereign grace. 
And so God's common grace, God's saving grace, God's, uh, God's sovereign grace grow in these things. But one more thing that we see about grace, and that would be what we would call God's sustaining grace. Well, what is this? Well, God's sustaining grace is what keeps us in all of the turns. His sovereign grace brings us to certain things. His sustaining grace sustains us in those things. And aren't you glad for the sustaining grace of God? Aren't you glad that whatever situation you find yourself in, there is grace that can be found? But I have to ask you the question, are you growing in that sustaining grace? We come back to our original point. How do we grow in this? We grow in grace by the experience of grace. Our growth in grace is not limited to being informed about these categories. Our growth in grace doesn't necessarily come about only by being informed as to the definition of grace. Grace is that which is to be experienced. Grace is that which is to be entered into. Grace is that which is to be enjoyed. Grace is that which is to be vibrant. My friends, my brothers and sisters, I hope and I pray that the grace of God is a growing reality in your lives. And I hope and I pray that that grace that God shows you brings to your life and to your soul a greater love and a greater measure of obedience for the person of your dear Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who by grace saves you. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the, this, this thing called grace, Father. We thank you for the grace in its many uh, different categories, Lord. And there are more than what we've uh, mentioned, Father. Uh, in, 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 the, in, your, in your word, Father, you tell us that you are the God of all grace. Whatever circumstance you sovereignly bring us to, grace is there. Whatever situation we find ourselves, grace is there. Now, wherever we uh, find ourselves, again, under the weight of our sin, if we seek, grace is there. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you that uh, because of your great love, and because of your tender mercy, and because of that disposition which is in you by way of an eternal nature, we thank you, Father, for this thing called grace. And now, Father, I would ask and I would pray that you would cause us to grow in this grace, cause us to grow in such a way that the great song of our hearts will be truly amazing grace. So, Father, grant these things for the glory of your name, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.